Welcome to Innovative HR with your host, Dr. Marcella McCurdy. She has presented hundreds of times on topics such as recruiting, training, diversity and inclusion, college internships, technology, and leadership. Hello, good morning, Dapo. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning to you, Marcella. Awesome, awesome. Well, I want to officially say thank you for joining us on the podcast this morning. We are going to have some great, interesting discussion. We'll talk a little bit about your book and all of the exciting things that you're doing. And so first, I just would like to share with our audience a little bit of your background and uh, read your bio. All right, all right. So great. (laughs) Depot, depot. Dapo. (laughs) Dapo. I just practiced this. It's like a Dapo Abraham is an author. Dapo. (laughs) Dapo Abraham is an author, screenwriter, leadership expert, and a chief executive officer of Ignite Africa TV. And he also is currently serving as an area director for Toastmasters International District. 46. He also currently works as a store manager for Rite Aid, store 03363. He moved to New York City in March 2014 from Nigeria with a passion to help people, which led him to use inspiring visual stories of the Africans in the diaspora to establish Ignite Africa TV that attracts thousands of viewers and subscribers. He has a burning desire to develop people who have not yet reached their leadership potential and believes in giving back to the community that has helped him grow. To further on his career, Dapo also initiated the Integrate and Sustain Eternally Displaced Persons IDPS program, which is Ignite Africa project that focuses on restoring displaced persons back into the society with love, care, dignity, and nobility. Dapo is currently pursuing an associate's degree in media and film production at Brooklyn College. He has served as the treasurer for the CUNY Bronx Community College, where he received a Leadership Excellence Award for dedicated leadership and service to the college community. Above all, Dapo is a Toastmasters and a member of Toast of the Bronx at TOB, where he currently serves as the club president. He also enjoys reading, writing, screenplays, and sports in his spare time. So great, great background. And uh, Dapo and I, we actually met at the International Toastmasters Conference in Denver, Colorado. And so I would like to start the conversation there since we have that connection and that common bond with Toastmasters. Can you just talk a little bit about your work with Toastmasters to get us started? Yes. Once again, thank you, Marcella, for having me on your podcast. Thank you for this opportunity, and I appreciate that. And I'm not taking it for granted. And just like you said, I can also observe that you're a very flexible human being, and that is very good, and that's very appreciated. So my starting off with my connection with Toastmaster and what I do with Toastmaster, I'll first go back to before I joined Toastmaster. 
I came to New York from Nigeria and、um, I felt the need to learn how to communicate with people because we, we speak British English in Nigeria. So sometimes when you communicate with people, you have to say four to five times over and over again before they eventually understand what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to say. So there was always this huge communication barrier between myself and the next person. And I felt the need to learn how to communicate my ideas, my vision, or whatever it is I have to do workplace, school, or with the next person, maybe sitting beside me in the bus. So, I kept Googling how to become an eloquent speaker, and I stumbled across a video, a Toastmaster video, and I realized Toastmaster is an organization that helps its members to become competent speakers and competent leaders. And before then, I had heard about Toastmaster, but I just didn't pay any attention to it. So this time around, I was able to look for A club that was very close to my place that would fit into my schedule. And that was in February 2018. So I found this club, Toast of the Bronx, and I went there to see how the club functioned. And I really liked it. I went to two other clubs as well, but they just didn't fit into my schedule. So I joined Toast of the Bronx February 2018. And、um, I joined the club with a sense of a mission because I just wanted to improve my leadership and communication skills. And I just threw myself in. I was taking responsibilities. I was giving speeches. I was going to different clubs, networking with people. And in July 2018, I was offered the position of the club vice president education. And I was nominated. And then I did the whole election team, told them why I would like to be the club vice president of education. And then there was a voting, and I was elected the club vice president of education. And I served the club as the VPE for one year, which was very, very,、um, it was very, it was, a, it was a vast learning experience for me because I got to learn about all the programs. I learned how I have to be. Steps ahead of most people in the club because, as the VPE, you always have to educate people on what program to take and what's best for them or what's best for the club. You have to, you need to know about all the programs because people will always ask you questions. So, I was always reading, I was learning, I was in, I was always on the phone with、um, Toastmasters International to learn more about Toastmasters International. So, after that, in this year, that's 2019. May 2019, I was nominated to, to become the club president. And then we did the voting again. I became the club president. And also, the district nominated me to be the area director. And so far, it's been good for me because it's really helped me improve. I mean, Toastmasters now, it's really helped me improve with my communication skills and my leadership skills. Before I used to be stressed out when I'm doing even few things, but now I could do multiple things and not, you know, not get stressed out. And another thing was it exposed me to the international convention. And that was how I got to meet with Marcella, with you, you know, because if not for Toastmasters International Convention, I wouldn't have the opportunity. And the international convention also exposed me with so many people, you know, I was able to meet with different people from different Country from different walks of life with different ideology, with different 
level, skills, um, position. I just, I feel like I'm just blessed to be a member of Toastmasters International. And, and that's just it for me. Great. Awesome. Yes, I love hearing your story. And the International Toastmasters Convention, that was my first time attending as well. And I was so inspired to meet one fellow people who are public speakers or have the gift of gab. We all like to talk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But equally, I like to listen as well. So that way we can all learn each other. Mm -hmm. And you touched on something really important in terms of communication, leadership skills, and those skills will serve you through your life throughout all of your life, whether you are an entrepreneur in managing a business or if you are working. find a helping hand and I registered as an helping hand member and it just made me connect with more people and, you know, link up with more people that are, you know, that also have the mindset of service, just like every other person at the organization. So it was, it was just fun. It was fun for me. Yes. And it's also displaying and building your leadership skills because your passion is working with the youth and the community. And so everything that you're doing with Toastmasters, it translates over to, you know, the things that you're doing with your community and then ultimately you writing your book. And so that's the other exciting news that you have to share. Can you talk a little bit more about the book that you have written? Yes, 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 yes. First, the book was actually, because before I, prior to writing the book, I've been conducting interviews with multiple people, business owners, financiers, educational experts, and top leaders. And they all have the same thing about millennials of this generation, that they can't stick to one job. They have this notion of instant gratification. They just want they have this belief that they can have everything at a snap of a finger. And the real world doesn't work like that. So I came to realize that the, the older generation don't really, they don't really like working or they don't appreciate working with millennials because of the fact that they have, just like they, tell, they always tell me, like they, they, have very sh- they have a very short memory and attention span. They can't stay, you know, they can't stick to one job for a very long time. They... I met some young guy and in like nine months, he told me he had switched from three different jobs and it, it was just like, a, it was, it was becoming a huge problem. So that was the one thing that single-handedly inspired me to come up with this book. So the book actually, it's meant to unlock its reader's mind and nurture them towards achieving their life's purpose. And to understand that it's not always easy. If you're looking for something easy, then your life will be very hard. If you look for something hard, then you will, your life will be easy. So it's, it's just for them to go through it and begin to understand that, okay, this thing is tough. It's hard. It's challenging, but I will just stick with it until I resolve. I won't just say, oh, because it's hard, let me switch to the, to the next job. My boss is very is a very difficult human being. I can't work with my boss. Let me find another job. And you, before you know it, in in like two years, you've changed job. You've switched from six different jobs, and you have nothing to show for any of those jobs. 
So the whole book is just meant to help its readers to focus their mind and achieve great things by, you know, by staying committed and by staying dedicated to one task instead of, you know, dividing yourself. I always tell people that we human beings, we're not, des- we're not designed to be multitasking. I've met a lot of people who are very multitasking, but I think it's just their gift. But the, na- the natural, regular human being, we are meant to stay focused on one task, get it done, and then move to the next one. You can do five things at the same time. You won't be able to, to you won't be able to amass, you know, massive success from spreading yourself over five different things and trying to get them all done at the same time. It's always good to stay focused on one task, finish that, move to the next one. So that's what the book is all about. And also, it's a book of um, poetry and affirmation. The poetic side of the book is just to get the reader to challenge their thinking process. And I've been getting positive feedback from the book because a lot of people will tell me, oh, this poem specifically had me thinking about different things. And I'm like, that's the goal. The goal is just for you to to start thinking differently because that's the only way I believe we can grow when we start thinking outside the box and start understanding that everything is not one way. You need to have multiple perspectives to different things around you so that you can make objective and rational decisions that would really, you know, benefit um, not just your future, but also the future of everyone on your team or your community or even the country as a whole. So that's the whole essence of the book. Um, like I said, it's a philosophical manuscript of poetry and affirmations that will unlock its reader's mind and nurture them towards achieving their life's purpose. And I was inspired by so many authors. I actually have their names here. Some of them mentioned. Some of them include T.D. Jakes, Les Brown, Eric Thomas, Clay Scroggins, who wrote Leading When You're Not in Charge. I have a number of them in the back here that I made reference to. One of my favorites of all the references was TDG, and I was privileged to meet with him when he came to New York, and we exchanged books. I got a copy of his book, and he got a copy of my book. So it was just, I was very thrilled and honored to have met with him and, you know, give him, share with Yes, I'm happy to hear that you've included poetry, your creative side, into the book. There is an author by the name of Daniel Pink. And I read a book by him called A Whole New Mind, and it was life-changing for me because he talks about including creativity into business and that as humans, we have both a right and left brain and we should be balanced in our thinking and not only bringing logical skills to business and life, but bringing that creativity and so creativity is needed in the workplace and as we advance in this modern society and ways to do that is through poetry, through music, through the arts. So that's fascinating that you've been able to intertwine the two and it appears that you have balanced thinking because you're looking at both, you know, the business goals and being a leader and thinking logically about your communication, but also intertwining that poetry. And I believe our younger people, they can connect faster to the arts because they have grown up in society with social media 
and things moving really fast, the arts can balance out their brain to start to accept and depend more on the logic. And so have you gotten feedback from, you know, people regarding the poetry and how it can help them in their business life? Yes, yes, it does. And honestly, because this was my very first book and I was kind of very skeptical publishing it because I don't know how, you know, what the reaction would be. I don't know how people, you know, how people are going to receive it. So I was just very skeptical. So each time I receive a positive feedback from a reader, it's, it uh, makes me know that at least I did something right. One of my poems in the book focused on getting rid of bad habits. And each time, that's one of the poems that people always tell me that, oh, this, is, this really spoke to them because at some point, everyone, almost everyone developed a bad habit because habits with bad habits are developed when you're going through maybe um a trying time and then you just needed something to deflect you from experiencing the hardship or to divert you and then people pick up different habits in order to deflect themselves from what's truly going on and then it becomes something they do over and over and over again i could read the first two verses from the point yes it's titled, you read my mind. I was like, can you read some of your poetry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's titled Dear Bad Habits. It goes as, Dear Bad Habits, I never resisted you when you first showed up. You slowly crept into my life until I couldn't stop. Until you build this magnanimous tower. You think you're an indestructible force of power. You became the enemy I've come to love beholding my destruction as you revolve. But I have read the word. I read about the enemy's sword, that the enemy has come for a purpose, to steal, to kill, to destroy, and then to depose. The word also spoke about salvation, about fearing the Lord and resisting the enemy's station. So I'm writing this to you, telling you we are through, that I can't take you anymore. Don't know what I liked you for. All you did was wear me out. Now I know what you're all about. You came to me with promise and joy. Now look at all the things you destroy. Families, lives, bank accounts, you see? You ruined it all with one little tease. Look at the way you make me feel. Then you take it all and want me to steal. So today I resist you. So go hide, somewhere far away where I'll never find. Everyone at home doesn't understand how you ripped me apart, then lend me a hand. I keep coming back, thinking inside, maybe this time I'll make you my bride. Then I sit and wonder why. Why do you really want me to die? Thousands and thousands come to you, hoping and praying you'll help them through. Then the fall for your lending hand only to realize you are nothing but a scam. You promised me heaven and sent me to hell. You ruined my life and then wished me well. Watch me now as I go on my way. I'm washing myself off all your pain. So you and your power can just leave me be. I'm taking my life and setting it free. And that's their bad habits. 
Wow, that was amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that's one that people always tell me that they can all resonate with because, like I said, habits. We all have habits because habits makes or break us, and no man is greater than his habits. And habits are formed over time, you know, through from thoughts to words, from words to action, and actions to habits to character, and then it becomes your whole personality. So that's why I wrote this for people to understand that you can break free. You can take your life back from whatever bad habits that you have. I don't know. It might be for someone else. It might be smoking. It might be drinking. It might be addiction. It might be anything. But the truth is you can always break away from it. And that's the whole point of this. And to the millennia also. Because millennials are so addicted to technology these days, they can use or, you know, utilize technology to their own benefit without getting addicted to the negative side of technological advancement. So that's just the whole point of this book. It's just for people to read it and speculate and, you know, think about how it's actually how it speaks to them, how it reflects their whole entire life and just think of how they can grab themselves from the negative side and position themselves on the positive side. And that's just the whole point of it. Great, great. I really like Thank it. You. And so growing up, did you write poetry? Yes. Growing up, I did a lot of writing. In fact, I write songs. I write um, music lyrics. And back in Nigeria, I used to, we used to have this local music group. I was basically the writer for them. That was just my interest. My interest has always been writing. So I wrote for the local music group. I wrote different songs. I still have my book with all the songs in the book. I wrote up to like four different albums. And I just wrote them just for the sake of writing them, you know. They don't get published. Um. I would actually include some of the lyrics in my next poetry book and just, you know, start sharing it with the world. And frankly speaking, I was always looking for the opportunity to write songs for big artists. Then I, you know, I would sit down in my house and I will write a song. I'll be like, this song, I'm writing this for Michael Jackson. I'm writing this for Akon. I'm writing this for Beyonce. But it was just like that back then. I didn't get the opportunity to meet with these people, but I still wrote the songs and I still have the books where I have them all written. Maybe one of these days, it'll, it's still going to happen. And then I'll be like, you know, do you know that I wrote the song when I was like, when I was very young? And maybe you would like to sing the song. <laughs> so yeah, back then I used to do a lot of writing. I wrote um, music lyrics. I used to write for editorial, for an editorial magazine back then in my high school. Writing has always been, in fact, I remember when I was in class, in English class, and I realized a lot of people don't like writing. And my English professor then told us, you guys are going to write an essay. And everyone was like, no, I don't want to write. And I just asked him, I was like, how many pages do you want? And right there, it was like, I can see that you really enjoy writing. And it's just part of me. I can just sit down and write on and on and on and on like that. You know, they, there's a saying that the paper is always more patient than people. So if you're feeling something and you put it down on paper, it doesn't argue with you. It doesn't 
give you different opinion. You can just write down how you feel on a piece of paper and it just stays there and it stays there for as long as the piece of paper is there. And you could go and come back and reflect on it and, you know, cultivate something artistic from it. So writing has always been something that I've been doing from childhood. Awesome. And that's a great skill and strength that you have. And so coming from the human resources world and working with people with career development, I get super excited and happy to hear when other people share their passion. And now in the technology world, I believe that's where technology Mm -hmm. is a plus because there's a space for you to write your songs, writing your books, and it can get across the world. And so I'm so happy to hear that you've kept that skill with you throughout life. (laughs) Thank you for that. And you're really good at it after hearing the poem. And so I I think, well, I know that helps inspire other people to tap into the things that they were really good at when they were a kid. That was your talent. And if you can bring that into your adult life and ultimately get paid for what you love to do. There's this thing about what we used to do when we were when we were young. The truth is, I was reading this book by, I believe it was Robert Greene, and it was like, don't neglect your childhood abilities. Because when you grow old, you will still need them. Because when we were children, we had no restrictions. You could just go forth and create. No one will tell you, oh, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. You could just create what comes into you because we had a blank state of mind and we're just using that mind to create new stuff. So when we grow old, we start falling into all this patternistic way of life. You know, you have to do this. You have to be at work by 2. You have to leave by 11 p.m. You have to be at class by 8 a.m. And then we fall into a patternistic way of life. And if you want to become creative again, you need to be able to tap back into your childhood memory and bring out that childhood creativity that has no restriction, whereby you could just sit down and let your mind run wild and just think about stuff you would think about when you were a child and then just start creating new stuff before you fall back into the, the paternistic way of life, of adulthood. Because as you grow older, you, everything becomes patterns. For you. And human beings, we like patterns. We like this, this is the time I'm supposed to do this. This is the time I'm supposed to do this. And um, we call it discipline. And it's good to be disciplined. But if you want to be creative, you need to be able to evade that discipline moment for a while and let your mind just run wild and play with words, play with ideas, play with neurological visions in your head and just bring them to life on a piece of paper. And that way you could, you know, go, you could bring out a lot of unexpected creativity from deep within that people, you know, your community will tend to appreciate more. Yes, I so agree. And in my conversations with millennials and Gen Zs, when I was running a college internship program, surprisingly, they do want leaders and more adults to sit with them and go through that creative process. It was amazing how once I really started to focus on young people in smaller groups, they would put away the phone 
the technology became, yeah. And I share this story and I'm like, they will put down the phone if you start to teach and model them your creativity. For example, I was reading research Mm -hmm. about walking meetings, going outside and walking. And prior to this, I had a, a group of interns, five or six guys. And the first meeting I booked, it was in a room and it oh. was just not sparking their interest. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to get creative. How about we have a meeting and we're going to walk outside downtown Columbus, Ohio in the summer. And so I emailed all the guys and I said, hey, do you think it would be a fun idea to just go outside and walk? And let's have a walking meeting. And they said, sure. And so we get outside and instantly it opens, mm-hmm. you know, great conversation. The cell phones the went in you, their pocket. You put them in motion. So you, the motion took out their, their board. Um, it took out the boredom. So initially the thing is when they start, they can pay attention. But as the meeting gets longer, they start losing attention. And then that's when they go back to their phone, their cell phone, because that's what grants them comfort in boredom. So you successfully, you were able to work with them on that and put their body in motion. And there's this thing, there's this saying that as our body moves, our brain grooves. So when you're in motion, you even learn, you learn how like, what word can I use? Um, You learn in a fluid process and you even learn faster because now, our brains tend to learn in routes. So, for example, if you're walking from here to like your friend's house, you would not, you probably won't identify the street names, but you can visually tell the place without even knowing the street place to the street names to get to the destination. But you can remember the routes. So, by so doing, by putting them in motion, you were able to help them get out of. Yeah, traditional process of learning into a new process of learning. And by so doing, they even learn more. And I'm very sure if you ask them everything that you, you taught them or you spoke about with them on that very day, they would remember most of it because it was new to them. I think it has to do with, create, just like you said, creating a divisive or a new way of learning. And that way they will drop their phones and pay more attention to what's being, you know, what's being taught. I think that's the process. Yes. And they taught me as well. So it was a great exchange of information because I remember the moment as well in us discussing music, you know, creativity came out, but then giving me feedback of how to be a better intern program manager. And so when I'm asking other questions, give me feedback. What do you like? And so the first question or the first feedback do more walking meetings and, you know, the students sharing, what if every meeting could be like that for all business professionals? And I thought, yeah, that would be amazing because then it also taps into the health and wellness of a company when you have healthy employees and it's, we're walking downtown, but actually we were working out, but it didn't feel like we were exercising because we were having organic conversation the weather was beautiful and we probably wow. walked maybe three or four miles <laughs> and we didn't even think about it um, because, and I love walking. So luckily, you know, I like to walk and jog and run, but, and I had my flats on that day. I love a good heel, but I love a flat too. So and so <laughs> we were so just all over downtown. With and that. then to come back again, another trail four miles. So that's like eight miles. 
we did a total of three miles. And so at this time, we all worked downtown. So we started off on um, our main strip called High Street. And so we just started heading north and we're having good conversation. And then I'm like, hey, guys, you want to go back <laughs> in? And they're like, no, well, let's keep walking. So then I believe we ended up turning down Main Street and there's lots of construction and development happening in downtown Columbus. So then we're talking about all the different buildings and apartments that are going up. In between them, we're talking about their different colleges. And so one student was at Capital University. A couple of students were from OSU. One student was from University of Cincinnati. So in the midst of walking, then we're all learning about the different colleges nice. and their different college experience. And so it was very, very flexible, organic. One minute we're talking about the building and then you know, it sparked someone else ideal to say, oh, yeah, so the Cincinnati football team, we like sports too. So then we're talking about the University of Cincinnati football. And then that led into talking about college football and the NFL. And then it came back around to, oh, so what do you want to major in, in school? Or, or what do you want your career to be? And so that would be my recommendation to leadership. I hear a lot of talks in the HR space the war for talent. How do you attract young people to your company? In that moment of exchange, that was one way that you can mm -hmm. attract young talent to your company that is not always sitting at the desk and doing those same patterns. It's going outside and walking. It's booking meetings offsite. I know I had great leaders did that mm -hmm. for me when I worked at Cardinal Health. We had an offsite team meeting at a, I believe it was wow. a country club, a golf club, and we booked a private room and it was a fancy <laughs> lunch. And I was like, oh, I can do this all day. <laughs> of course. Of course. It, that sounds interesting. So yeah, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've done a couple of that too with my crew and my associates. Sometimes we want to have like maybe our annual business meeting. We don't just have it in New York. We travel to a different state, a different resort center. And that way we can we can have a different experience. And you know, we set the goal for the year. We, we set the vision for the year and everyone gets to know that, okay, this is what we plan to do. One thing I'm planning to do now with my nonprofit is that is for all of my New York staff here, for our annual business meeting, we'll travel to the states or the country where we have our projects. So because some most of them here just work on paper and they see the reports, but they haven't seen what we do over there. So I would really like them to go over there and see that, okay, this is what you guys are truly doing. So they will know that, okay, yeah, we are truly doing something for, to, you know, to make the life of people better. It's just the, the change in location. I think one of my Toastmaster members gave a speech on that, and she said they call it a bundago at their office, whereby you you organize an official business meeting in a different location that has all sorts of you know comfy stuff, food arrangement, um, a nice resort place, but then you're having the key business activity going on in a very comfortable environment. I think that's what they call it over there. But that's true, yeah. Um, whenever you change the location, people tend to adapt more and learn faster and understand the goal 
understand the goal of the company and also understand that the company cares about how they feel or what they bring to the table. I think that's how it works. Yes. And um, so you said the term again, was it? Can you say that again? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of it before. The lady just Bundagu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't either. I like that. Bundagu. <laughs> I know of another term in South Africa, Nelson Mandela. Yeah, advocated yeah. for Ubuntu. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I that said all the time whenever I meet collective. my people over here. Unfortunately enough, my Toastmaster Pathways program is called Team Collaboration. So I've been using the term Ubuntu in like two of my Toastmaster speeches because it's it means collectiveness and do things together. Like don't leave a member of a team behind. Even if they're short, find a way to compensate and help them out. Just bring everyone along. You don't leave anyone behind. I think that's just it. Yes, I love it. I love it. And so since we're talking about culture, can you share more about your Nigerian culture? I would love to hear about okay. Nigeria and favorite I, foods I, I'm and saving music. that for my next book. Can you educate us a little? <laughs> but it's okay. I'll share. Oh, okay. I'll share. <laughs> I'm ahead of the yeah, can you yeah, give us like yeah. a teaser okay. so then that I'm way the want to read your book. give us a teaser Yoruba people in Nigeria are known for throwing large parties we celebrate everything over there all sorts of festival the masquerade festival the traditional dress festival the fasting festival we, we celebrate almost everything over there the Yoruba culture is um, when it comes to education, our parents are very, very tricky with education. Like, you just have to go to college and end your bachelor's first before you start coming with some creative stuff like, oh, I want to become a, an artist, I want to become a musician. You need to earn your bachelor's before you even start thinking about things like that in the Yoruba family. You need to have your education first. Traditionally, the fashion, the outfit, it's beautiful. We have the traditional deities, the, the traditional gods. I read about most of them. I didn't get to experience most of them. Um, one of my favorites was um, Shungu. It's the, the god of thunder. And uh, I think Marvel, Marvel comics got Thor from Shungu because Shungu has been existing before Thor ever came to life in Marvel comics. <laughs> Shango was the god. It was the god of thunder. Um, Thor uses hammer. Shango uses an axe, a double-edged axe, that he uses to bring down the lightning and strike his enemies. And he was married to three wives: the Oya, the Oba, and the Oshun. I know people here in America are throwing the Oshun around. They don't even know the history of Oshun. So <laughs> I see a lot of people. They just say, "I'm Oshun." In fact, Beyonce was dressed someday like that, and they were like, bring, it, they were like, bring on the Osho. I was like, do you even know what, what Osho is, for Christ's sake? So, <laughs> you know. Yes, research it. Learn it first. So, Shungu, um, Shungu was married to three yes. wives. And um, he was, um, the three wives usually have, they're always in conflict. So the Oya and the, the river Oya, and Oba, they were against Oshun because Oshun was Shungu's favorite of all the three women. She was 
I think she was the most visually appealing to Shango for some reasons. So the two other women just didn't like Oshun. So they were always colluding to do evil against her. So I think something happened. I, don't, I can't remember the full detail because I read it when I was very young. Something happened. And then Shango, by accident, I think he killed... Oh, I can't remember the details. Okay, yeah. Okay, let's go. But I know okay. eventually I all the women <laughs> turned into a river, a very huge river. And we used to have this river in, in, in Nigeria whereby the two rivers are flowing from two different places and then they meet at a point and then they clash and then they go back and then flow back again and then they clash and then they go back. That The river indicated the wife of Songo and, you know, they were not cooperating. That's why they were clashing at that point and then they go because they fought until their deaths and even after death, they still keep, they're still fighting. And that's why those two rivers will flow from two separate places and then clash at the middle point and then the wave falls back again and then comes back and clash. And I think Songo by accident killed Oshun. They did something. They, the two other women plotted against Oshun and then by accident Shango killed Oshun. And I think he also, when he realized Oshun wasn't guilty, he killed himself. And he became a statue holding his axe with the lightning, you know, touching that. And then people worship that statue um, till today, back there in my country. And then the other two wives, after Songo was dead and Osho was gone, Oya and Oba started, you know, they were clashing together and um, they all became rivers and stuff. like. But it's, it's a very interesting myth or story or history to know about. There's so many traditional deities like that in Nigeria that they have very interesting meat and stories. One of the most reveled woman, traditional hero, habilis hero was Efushita Amiwura. I don't know if you know Efushita Amiwura. She was very powerful, very spiritual, and she would lead no. armies against, you know, a king or something like that. And she had all this power. She could vanish. She could swallow something and just do something, you know. She her story was very, very. She was history was very, very powerful. Efushitanura, you could also look into that. Very interesting story. We've had traditional films about her. I think it's time that they do another version of a story just to start reminding people about. Because this story I read about it when I was like, when I was very young, when I was like six, five, six years old. So I don't, that's why I don't have all the details right now. But yeah, but the, the traditional stories are very interesting. And then we have all this masquerade festival in Lagos. We have the, the masquerade festival whereby they wear all white. They cover their faces, they dance. And the thing is, even if you are like a, a, a governor or president, you have to respect those people when they're, when they're doing their festival because those people have been existing before you ever came into office so you have to respect them while they're having their festivities so it's just it's just always interesting you know they they close down the entire city for these people to have their their festive their festivities to have their festival walk around the whole city um of lagos it's very interesting yeah the tradition is very interesting and the food oh the food is good too. <laughs> yeah you know the african food um oh, yeah, ever since i came to america 
um, I really missed it. But I have this African market that I go because before I tried going to African restaurant and I realized they just don't make it the way it is back then. So now I just go to the African market and I cook my own food by myself because I just want to have the African flavor. And you can't buy that. You have to make it by yourself. It's so good that my grandma, for example, if she wants mm-hmm. pounded yam, she, uh, right now, you know, back there you have to like pound those yams. But here they have all this, you know, quick fix. Like they have the powder version. So you can make it with from the powder version. But my grandma will never taste the powder version. It has to be the traditionally pounded one. Same thing with the soup. It has to be traditional because she she thinks the whole westernization is taking away the culture. So um, I'm kind of like that too. I like it all traditional. That's why I make it by myself. Like I make my traditional meal by myself. If I'm having a guest, I let them have a sense of the African cuisine. You know, I don't want them to, I don't feed them with the American Western food. I feed them with the African food for them to know that, okay, this is African. So you guys should have a taste of what Africa is. <laughs> yes, I, I put my whole yes, my soul into it. and you put I, your soul I'm very into dedicated it. So when, when you're cooking. cooking. It's a, yes. it's a problem because I can be a perfectionist yeah. when it comes to cooking too. The only issue I'm still having right now, and I've been having this issue from childhood, oh. <laughs> sometimes I miss my measure of salt. So I can sometimes put too little salt or maybe too much salt. So what I've learned to do is to put too little salt right now, and then if I taste it and it's not enough, then I add it. But before, I just put too much salt, but I've been working on that. So you, you guys have nothing to fear if you're going to taste it. Don't worry, there won't be too much salt. <laughs> Great. So you brought up something else interesting, your grandmother. And I have two oh. grandmas who are amazing cooks. One is still alive. Mm-hmm. One is in heaven. But that's something that I want to pass down to my kids and my grandmas. They're the same way when they cook from scratch, like we eat collard greens. So my grandmother can tell the difference between something that's been canned or really made quickly, as opposed to, you know, when we grew up, we would go to the grocery store and actually buy like collard greens and kale and mustard greens and you pick them off of the stem and you wash them at home and there's like a process and you cook them for eight or nine hours so it sounds like we have commonalities um grandmas well actually i've heard this story from multiple cultures that if you had an amazing grandma who knew how to cook you want grandma's food book michelle obama's book becoming very interesting book she yes i'm reading that story so you know of a mom always cooking and um, there's always a lot to eat. And I think it's just the same thing, you know, across with grandma. And she said the same thing about meeting different aged ladies. And then that's what they will do just to make sure that you feel the, you feel the taste of, you know, how they grew up. And one thing she was, she mentioned was that they don't say too much. They just make sure you guys have enough to eat. So you forget about your natural, because according to her, she's, um, she has this strong work ethic and she's always very steadfast. She's always, she's goal oriented when she's in school. She's very, mm-hmm. she's highly competitive with grades, with, her, uh, with her colleague. So the only time she gets to feel home is whenever she's 
she's home with um, one of her aunts or maybe her mom or her grandma. That's when she, they, you know, they give her the, they feed her with the home cooked meal and then she gets to forget about the whole fast paced school walk life and then she's back, you know, to, to remembering about family and things like that. Yeah, so true. I remember yes. that passage and she talked about, especially when she was yes. in college and being yes. uncomfortable as a first generation college student yeah, yeah, and then yeah, she yeah, went yeah. to her aunt's house. Yeah. And she could get ribs and macaroni and cheese, yeah. like the soul food. <laughs> uh, my grandma would say something that's going to stick to your bones. No. Like you need to. <laughs> I don't know if you heard Sounds of that like term before. Grandma. But yeah, my grandma like, you need real <laughs> food, like something that's going to stick to your bones. Especially in Columbus, like Ohio. Grandma. My grandma was like that. <laughs> During winter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like you need something hearty. And, you know, now the older that I get, they're right, because in Ohio, when it gets cold and snowy yeah. and blah, a good meal, like, makes me so happy. If it's pasta yeah, because, or because a good hearty soup, you. you know, my grandmother like makes, said, like, that amazing vegetable soup. It's not like you're just having some, some sandwich from, yes. from the restaurant. You're having a soul food. So it's, it's just, I mean, I remember back then when I was... um at my first um, college and I was having a hard time understanding some stuff. I would just go to this African restaurant just because I want something different from the, whatever I buy from the, the school cafeteria. So I had to walk like five blocks away from school, from my studying, just to have a different feel. And then after having the African food, I fall into a deep sleep. And when I wake up, then I'm ready for anything, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And you just gave me a great idea yeah. in the moment. And being on college campuses and students always have to eat. What if as a part of, you know, the diversity and inclusion plan, oh. colleges start to bring grandma's cooking as a part of dining? <laughs> because yes, the American, you know, I know we do cheeseburgers and hot dogs, but wouldn't it feel really great if you went to yeah. your school or while you were at college, you could find like the authentic food or they find, you know, great cooks, especially yeah. baby boomers yeah. and people who are older adults and they don't well, necessarily want to work full time. That would be, that would be an Do you awesome think that would be a good idea? Like to hire part-time cooks? Because I think in colleges, food is, I mean, I don't know about over there in Ohio, but here in New York, every college campus food restaurant is very expensive because they tend to say that they're selling healthy food. So the prices are very expensive because they know they will buy it eventually. So if they're already paying a huge amount of money for that, why not just bring the grandma's kitchen and they pay almost the same price or even lesser and they even get a soul food that will stick to their bones, you know? <laughs> Yes. And give you a good nap because sometimes when you're studying yes. and moving so fast in life, I had another friend, he would always yeah. say, you just need a nap and a snack. And the snack is grandma's good hearty true, food. True. That sometimes just you just need a nap. Put you it's to always, sleep when you're and make you feel the comfort you, food. You can't force yourself through. If you don't feel like doing it and you keep doing it, you're only forcing yourself. You need to understand. I mean, I think it has to do with understanding yourself as a student. Maybe you're the type that can force yourself through and 
learn everything, that's fine. But our brains are not machines. Our body is not um, a machine. So when your body is getting tired and it's telling you that it's tired, you have to listen to your body and take a measured rest. And after that, you go back to work and then you learn faster instead of you ruining the old time because you're forcing yourself to do what yourself doesn't feel like doing. I think that's just, that's essential for students, actually. So true. So true. And especially during finals week or any type of testing week, (laughs) grandma's kitchen, I could imagine grandma's chicken kitchen being (laughs) um, a wonderful way to help you study. Yeah. Instead of cramming and drinking coffee yes. Yes. and doing things that are unnatural, if you took more of an organic approach, also, um, that's true. That's, that will help your I brain think and that. also be <laughs> relaxed and relieved. Yes. Great. Great. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because we've had such a wonderful conversation and oh, yeah, we maybe we might two. have to do a part Definitely. two because I still want to learn some more about Nigerian culture. <laughs> Yeah, and your next book that's coming out. And so this was a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Um, Do you have any final tips, recommendations, Um, words of wisdom for our listeners? To become more committed. Corporate entities are no longer that much interested in people that show lack of commitment in their resume. So if you are at a job, for example and you don't like it, find a way around it and see if you can convert it into something you would love just to build up commitment over time because that's one thing. And it's a huge challenge with people who are gifted because over the years, I realized I was like that too because I could do multiple things and I was just jumping from one job to the next because I'd be like, no, I mean, if if I don't like this, I'd be like, I'm better than this. Mm -hmm. Let me just go to the next job. Instead of read, you know, sitting down and facing what's in front of me and overcoming it, I was just running from one job to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And, I, I, and, and in two years, I just had nothing to show for anything I've done in two years. So my biggest advice is for people to, to become more committed. Um, and I actually got this from a book by Robert Green that I will recommend highly recommend for your listeners to look into it's titled mastery yeah by robert green it teaches the individual how to become more committed it's just it's basically almost the same thing malcolm gladwell spoke about in outlier his book called outliers about the ten thousand hour rule whereby for you to become a master in one thing you need to, when you see someone like Kobe Bryant yes. or Michael Jordan, and they're very, they're great at basketball. They don't just walk out two hours like every other person and then become great. They need to put in hours and hours. And that's how he measured it. That every, everyone you see that's great or you consider to be superhuman, it's because they have invested their 10,000 hours into their craft. So, for example, you want to become a manager at an organization and you don't have that kind of mindset of, oh, I got to put in my hours to become a key personnel in this organization. I just want to come in 
as a regular associate and just become a manager. It doesn't work like that. Or maybe I just want to come in and become a manager, but then they're doing something I don't like. So I'm just going to leave the job. You won't achieve anything by doing that. And it's the same thing in families, in relationship, among friendship. We, we have friends and then we fight. We won't say, oh, because my friend is something that I don't like, I'm going to stop being their friend. Or because my partner did something that I don't like, I'm, going to, I'm just going to break up. In fact, we see that all the time. We see people breaking up over, you know, lenient stuff. So my whole idea is for people to become more committed and to learn how to become more human and to learn how to overlook the things that usually get on your nerves before and see how you can walk around it. I was reading a portion of the Bible and it skipped my mind. I can't remember the exact passage. Maybe when I remember, I'll let you know. But it was saying it was about Christ telling his disciples that if your brother offends you seven times, you forgive him seven times. And if your brother offends you, yeah, if you, if you offend yourself seven times, you forgive him seven yes, times. Yes, yes, I'm seven familiar times, with that passage. Something like yes. that. And you know, it was it was about it was about what people do in in general. And and his mm-hmm. disciples then was like, Lord, increase our faith because it takes it takes faith for you to be able to start overlooking stuff. Because if you don't overlook things like that, you will just become bitter and you won't be able to work with people. Everyone will just always get on your nerves and you just won't make anything out of your life. In life, we have to learn how to, because we are social animals, we, le- we have to learn how to become more social, learn how to work with people from different walks of life, from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicity, gender orientation. Just understand that people come with different aspects. And you, as a person, you also have different aspects of yourself. And if you're willing to understand that, okay, maybe this person is doing this, why is this person doing this? Try to understand. And if it's something you can walk around, walk around it. But don't just start cutting things off. Don't just start switching jobs. Don't just start cutting relationship because, you know, your relationship with people because, oh, I don't like this. I will never do this again. And it's always good to just learn how to work with people. Even that portion of the Bible, I can't remember at this specific place right now. It says something about, if someone does you wrong, confront the person and just resolve it right there. Don't just keep it inside you for like five years and then just keep walking around with that, you know, anger and resentment without resolving the issue because people make mistakes. And then you need to, you know, you need to understand that people make mistakes because the moment you can understand that people make mistakes, you will have mm-hmm. a long committed fruitful relationship with people, your staff member, your friends, your relationship partners, even with yourself, you know, because you, you, you tend to understand yourself. I was listening to this guy from the School of Life and he said, kids always have a, a wrong notion that they have a good parent or a bad parent. And as the kid becomes more mature, they get to realize that the good parent and the bad parent are the same person. So every human being is a split personality. So as you grow up, you realize that, okay, my parents are not mm. perfect. So I got to start helping out. Mm-hmm. It's not like you won't say, oh, my friend's dad had, 
my friends that bought him this bicycle, you didn't buy him this bicycle, you're a bad parent. You begin to realize that they're human beings too. Even though sometimes our fathers like to, they don't show their weak side. They, they try to portray themselves, you know, our parents, they try to portray themselves as superhuman. But as we grow older, we begin to realize that they are also human beings. And we find a way to work with them in order to bring out the best out of everyone around. So that's just my whole message, you know, in a nutshell, it's just for people to learn to become more committed and to overlook, learn how to overlook people's mistake and understand that people are split personalities. And you yourself, you're also a split personality because you, that's where self-control comes in. We have the good side and the bad side. We always show the good side. When the bad side wants to come out, we control it. And that's self-control. That's you suppressing your bad side because you know that this is not good for business relationship. And that's what will help you to become more committed, to build stronger relationship with people, you know, to form strong bonds with your associate. That's one thing that really helped them to, to do that. You know, the message is just to become more committed, more dedicated in order to be great at what you do or to get to the top of your company or to become the, I don't know what you're trying to become, you know, as a person, but maybe you want to become the leading entrepreneur in the world. You have to be committed because at the beginning, it always looks different from the vision that you have in mind, but it's the commitment that gets the person to that place. So true. Wonderful comments. And one other small ask, because language is important and wanting to make sure the audience is exposed to uh, multiple uh, languages. Um, Do you speak I other languages? Speak and if so, can you share Europe, something in that language? I understand French, but I don't speak French. And I'm beginning to learn Spanish because it's the okay. it's the widely spoken it's one of the widest spoken language in america so uh, i'm just taking spanish classes so i'm not yet good at those the only one i speak is yoruba that's my traditional language and hopefully we there's a yoruba listener out there so i'll just say everything i said in the in summary in yoruba i'll just say it now hello ni yoruba message me is that Yoruba. Thank you, Yoruba. Awesome. And how would I say thank you? Oh, slowly. Yeah. Can you say that one more time? Uh, Yeah, slowly. You you have the American accent. (laughs) Ashegoni. (laughs) Ashegoni. The Yoruba people are like, we know where she's from. Yeah, that, that's one code switch with Africans, you know, when we, we when we are with Americans, we practicing. have the American accent. And once you're back in your African hood, the African cultural code switch just kicks in and it's just so African. But but you did great. <laughs> okay.
<laughs> it comes naturally. Yeah. Well, I studied mercy, French yeah, a mercy. little in high school, and I've been <laughs> trying to re uh, immerse myself. So, yeah. see, and they in French you have the, the is the bonjour. You you have to do the nose throat thing. Oh. <laughs> and I said then it I studied Swahili a little bit in college, so I remember so Habarigani. <laughs> um, that was hello Habarigani, and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I want to keep because I feel like it it shows that I care and it shows that the person is important um, because oftentimes mm. in America it mm. appears that we expect everyone to learn our mm-hmm. ways, our English, our culture, and I believe in this modern society we should meet in the middle. And mm-hmm. I might not know all of the Yoruba language, but I could at least learn how to say hello. Hi, thank you, in someone oh, else's yeah, language awesome. to make them feel and, and comfortable and invited and included like at the end of the day. Too. I really want to. It's be just inclusive. part of you know learning to understand other people's culture as well, and understand that everyone is different. And the best way is to immerse yourself and learn from everyone the best you can, and also be willing to give because mm-hmm. um, you can't just keep taking and keep taking and keep taking. You always have to give back for everything you get because the moment you don't give back for what you get, you will personally sever that relationship and you won't be able to connect with the, with the, with the giver anymore because you're not giving back for what you get. So they, that's, that, that's just the whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Great no, wisdom. I'm, I'm just you brought in the scriptures. I have my pastors in my family. Like, oh, you can come um, back and preach. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, at some point, you know, it's, Everyone, the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes. And that's usually the path where you will realize you have money, you have connection, you have people, but you're just not okay because the word is busy. And it says every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's why the Bible is so important. We need to learn it because at some point when every other thing doesn't make any sense, the word of God always makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> does and what a great <laughs> word of god <laughs> all right all right so thank, thank you, you so thank you merci asante I gracias very, i had a great time <laughs> i enjoy sharing about toastmasters about my book and about what i've learned so far from people from life and it's just been a pleasure uh, maybe one of these days i will also share what we do in my organization, my nonprofit organization, I would love to share with people as well. But maybe one of these days. And where can people find you on social okay, media uh, yeah, so that they can connect it. with um, you, so that they the can order pitch, right? your book? Here's your chance to plug <laughs> okay. yourself, your marketing, right, go so for it. On social media, Facebook, <laughs> my name is Dapo Ibrahim. LinkedIn, Dapo <laughs> yes. Ibrahim. Instagram is Dapo Ibrahim TV. I... And at some point, I have to delete all of my social media, but I just put them all back again. So it's going to be there for a while. What other social media do I have? I think that's it. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Facebook and LinkedIn is Dapo Ibrahim. And Instagram is Dapo Ibrahim TV. Um, yes, on Amazon, you can get my book on Amazon. It's titled Riveting Oaks. And it's the title Riveting Oaks came to be um, using the oak tree as a, as a symbol in the book that the oak tree, as strong as it is, 
as strong as it stands, it emerged from the acorn seed. So the, the whole idea of the book is you will see the acorn seed as small as it is, but inside that acorn seed is the oak tree. So everything that you need to become who you are designed to be in life is already inside you. You just have to look deep within. And I came to realize that God doesn't use things you don't have to bless you. He always used the things that you have to bless you. You know, look at the story of Moses. God said, what's that thing in your hand? He said, a staff. And he has been, he's been a shepherd with that staff for long. He didn't even know that's the shepherd that he would use to deliver the children of the, the Israelites. That was the same staff he would use to part the Red Sea. That was the same staff he would use to bring down manna, to, to break the rock for water for the Israelites. It was just the shepherd's staff, you know, and he's been carrying the staff around like it was just a staff. And look at the same lady also with the with the jar of oil. You know, he said, what do you have? She said, this is what I have right now, just a single small jar of oil. And the prophet mm. was like, feel close, go find, go borrow all the jars and use, you know, start pouring what's in this jar into all the other jars. God will always use what you have to bless you. So that's the whole essence of the book, that what you need to become who you're designed to be is already inside you. You just have to look deep within and learn how to focus on your embedded gift. And that's the book. Get a copy, write a review. Um, you can reach out to me. Let me know what you think about the book itself. Um, my email is dapoibrahimnyc at gmail.com. I would like to hear from everyone who, get, who, who gets a copy of the book. And I respond to my emails too. So don't worry, I'm going to respond to all the emails. <laughs> yeah, so get a copy for yourself, get for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors, for your enemies, <laughs> um, for your leaders. Get copies for everyone. The book is it's good for everyone. My pleasure. <laughs> thank oh, you yeah, thank yeah, you once pleasure. again inspiring I'm words forward to meeting you so grateful that you volunteered at Toastmasters <laughs> so that I got the opportunity to okay, meet you okay awesome sounds good <laughs> yes I'm working on getting my passport updated I'm going through that process <laughs> alright you too Marcella we we <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again and have a great and wonderful day. Okay, goodbye. Au revoir. Innovative HR to educate and empower people, to inspire and influence others, to be creative and innovative, providing and promoting business data that adds value and validity so that we can enlighten and enhance the community. This show is produced by Podtex. To learn more and how to host your own show, go to www.podtex.com. P-O-D-T-E-C-H-S. Podtex, your partners in podcasting.